You're listening to the Driven by Design Now Awards podcast. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is Kirsten Mann. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm well, Kirsten. Now, Kirsten, for the people that haven't been following the journey or missed out on the last uh, podcast that we did, Akinex has been acquired by Oracle. Oracle has now turned Akinex into a branded product of the Oracle Corporation. Mm -hmm. Your job has changed. You're now the vice president of... Product experience for construction engineering global business unit. Say wow. that three times in a row. That is an acronym that's hard to go um, <laughs> uh, pull off, isn't it? So, Kirsten, we're going to go and actually look at our five projects here. Our, I think our underlying theme here is magic this month. We, and we've had magic this month, haven't we? We got to hang out at Lead the Product. Actually, we did have a bit of magic, didn't yeah. we? Because we got to go have a day and a half in Sydney where we went and sped time with 500 people who work in product. And for most designers, they don't understand the significance of the people that work in product. But the product people are the ones who are probably day-to-day -day in more hand-to-hand -hand combat with, with users than anyone else. Mm. And having to do some hard trade-offs as well. They, they definitely do. And I think that what I'm, what I'm hoping that we go see is that the that the product people are actually can be considered to be key in the experience economy from their design savvy. They're not designers, but they're involved in the value stack of designed experiences. And at the moment, I see a bit of, oh, maybe turf protection coming in where you find out people who are UX and UI and CX designers are saying, we're designers and you're just the product manager. We're actually, I think it's this much bigger collaboration that everyone's it's, got. It's got to be both. And we're at um, Oracle, we talk about having a stool with three legs. And one is um, user experience, which is about useful, desirable, usable product management, which is about the business viability. Like, can we actually make money? It is this valuable for people. And the engineering side. So, you know, can, is it technically feasible? And if you don't have those three in partnership, you don't get amazing products and experiences. So that means if you've got this three-legged stool, that you've got a really good model that people can work on and how do things fit together there. So I think that's important that anybody who's trying to work out how to be part of the experience economy, that they get rid of this, it's one camp or the other, mm. and they work out, you've got to have the stool there because if you don't have all three legs, it falls over. Exactly. And I think what we can see with the things that we're going to be looking at today are projects you can see that coming through. I can see a bit of a, a three-legged stool being applied to these projects that we're going to be looking at. So should we kick in and, and with our first one? Yeah, and our first project here is called Notable Women. And uh, Notable Women is a project which was Google and the Rosie Rios Nexus Studios. This project here is an augmented reality experience that actually changes who you see on the American currency. So we've seen that we've seen a lot of fun stuff and play with Snapchat filters and Facebook filters and everybody's doing them on their phone and now they're on the phone directly. This is actually something that's a useful filter in the sense of education because what happens is you can get a dollar note or any note I think and what it happens is when you put that in front of the phone it features all these amazing women from history in the States who, because there's no women on US notes. And so um, Rosie Rios, who used to be the treasurer of the United States, so her signature was actually on the note, but we couldn't get a woman on the note. Right. 
And so this project here is actually a really interesting intervention where it goes and it says maybe we have a different future. Maybe we have a future where uh, women are equally represented. But it goes a step further than that. It actually creates an, a demonstration of what could be. And so you've got that pre-visualisation, living the experience, and also giving young women who are coming through a bit of pride in saying this is actually probably how the future is going to be. Well, it's spurring imagination, isn't it? That they can actually, it engages them to think that, hey, this could be a world that I can actually be part of, not, and because there's a lot of artefacts where they're not seeing that they're part of that world. So let's move on to our next project here, which is the Cardia Mobile by Alive Corp. This project came up on my radar after the launch of the iWatch, where there's an ECG capacity inside the iWatch. And well, I, I love this story though, right? Because normally what happens is Apple sees some technology and they go and either merge it in with the phone or they take over that market and the poor innovator gets screwed in the process. And, and so what was really interesting here, the team of LifeCore who were in market, had their product there, found that they got this massive lift because in most markets, an Apple, Apple phone is only 40, in best markets, it's 60% coverage. And not everybody has an iWatch. And some people are actually after a dedicated device to go and actually do their ECG monitoring, which is what this is. It's a Listeners, it's an external device that hooks in through Bluetooth so that you can put your thumbs on it and then you can get a reliable ECG. And I think what I love about it is that people can do self-monitoring with this, but it's also potentially an addictive experience in a good way because you go and check on your monitoring and the heart things versus you know just going and checking on Facebook or something like that. So Kirsten, I need, I'll just pull you up a little bit there because it's not like your pedometer. <laughs> I, I, over the last few months, have had to be self-monitoring on my blood pressure. It's a pain in the, well, tush, I think, would be what our American friends would say. And it's not an addictive thing, actually. I forget it most <laughs> of the time. how many times have you done it, though, since you've been hooked up with this thing? Oh, I reckon probably the scientists that I live with would say a, at an infrequent and inconsistent rate that means the results aren't reliable. Right. <laughs> So, so, so it's not an addictive thing. I think it's the addictive <laughs> one at the at the other end of the spectrum. But, but what I think is really interesting here, and there's actually a bunch of other uh, other um, heart monitoring uh, projects which are part of this month's now awards, is this is all about fit for purpose. It's not actually about the brand. And so you've got the iWatch, amazing brand, Apple. I think uh, when you look at most surveys, they're sitting in the top five, if not the number one brand in the world. But you've got the team at LifeCore here who have a different product proposition. It will suit a particular clinical or monitoring need. And that's what's important in health is actually having the right tool, the right equipment for the right need. It's not actually just saying, oh, I'll use the Apple one because that's going to be right for me. It's actually finding out what's going to meet your needs. And so we've got a LifeCore, we've got three or four other um, monitoring devices that are in here. But the magic is, what happened when what should have been a challenge to their brand came in with the world's actually, with the world's largest marketing company and instead they wound up actually having double or triple the amount of inquiries that came into the company so it's not always a bad thing when apple introduces a concept into people's minds because they're only a percentage of the market it may they maybe do marketing for everybody else and so that's a nice little bit of magic so speaking of a different type of magic and in this case we're talking about dignity 
which can be perceived as magic. Well, let's flush this out in a minute. Mm -hmm. But this is the night loo. And so when we're talking about a night toilet, it probably magic doesn't necessarily come to mind initially. But this concept, and it's by a fantastic American designer who's gone and really had looked at situational context and said, okay, and with a lens of empathy has designed something which allows people to go to the toilet at night and ensure that their dignity doesn't get taken away from them. And, and I think here, particularly for refugee camps, where um, there's, there's very little privacy and privacy and dignity fit together mm -hmm. because as humans, we all have to do ablutions, but people in refugee camps don't have the same level of screening and dignity as we might have in our, in our normal home. Mm. They've also got another threat, which is they're vulnerable when they're, when they're going to the toilet at night. There's less eyes on the street, so therefore we know through Jane Jacobs, more eyes make something safer. And so you've got that you've lost your dignity, you've lost some security, you've got threats that are around you from a, a physical safety perspective. By being able to have in your accommodation a night toilet to help you if you need to urinate, it's just adding so much to the day-to-day -day experience for people and it's reducing threats in their, in their life. This, this is an astounding piece of design here because it creates that magic in our lives which is our, uh, about not being under threat. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that many refugees that we don't realise that they've actually had dignity, they've actually had the magic of being without threat that doesn't exist for them. And so I think and, this and is well, a standing project. And for me, project. it is that. It's a beautiful example of when you apply empathy to design and take the context into the situation, uh, the context that that person's in, what truly can happen and how in design can innovate in those situations as well. So for me, that was, it's something that you'd look at and not, wouldn't normally see it immediately, but I totally agree. It was one of those ones where I thought, this is something that's really exceptional. Now, our next project here, which is the Coal Drops Yard in, in London. Now, this is part of the King's Cross, is it 27 hectares of uh, amazing space? This is, this is a, so for the people who are in the United States, they'll know about Hudson Yards. Mm -hmm. This is two and a half times the size of Hudson Yards. So it's pretty big, and they're talking about putting 20 new streets in it. It's already got 30,000 people living in that space. It is behemoth, right. is the way to look at it. Yeah. But what I've really enjoyed about looking at the Coal Drops Yard project is, and I, and I saw this when I was in Heatherwick studio about 12 months ago. So I got, I got to go see a preview of where it was going to get to. It only opened about a week ago. Wow. But old industrial buildings, particularly from the Victorian era, were very masculine and very robust buildings. There was nothing gentle, there was nothing welcoming about it. And the team at Heatherwick had gone through and they'd looked at a whole range of design scenarios. They'd actually worked out how they could intervene in this space to try to make it that it actually was feeling welcoming. Mm -hmm. And in the end, the result was that they decided that the roofs that needed to be replaced, why don't they intervene at the roofs and actually try to join these two disparate buildings into one co-joined space and try to bring a finish to it that actually was just sublime or magic. And so they've taken what might be an old industrial space and turned it into something about delight, grace, elegance. And I must say, it is astounding 
to see how they've transformed the space. They've created undercover spaces. There's light, there's timber. This is another one of those ones where you want to go to the site you've to actually to, see the images. But they've created an experience centre. It's not just this build space. And then the other thing that they've done is that when you're in an environment where there's, you know, if, if you wanted to say almost like the Academy Awards of Architects are all working on this 27 hectare site. So all of the projects need to stand out in their own right and you don't want them to feel that they're cookie cutter. You don't want to feel that they're competing. One of the things in Hudson Yards is that there's a little bit of one-upmanship that's going on. Mm -hmm. This felt very reserved and, and they actually worked out how to make an astounding place without trying to be dominant and that is magic. It, it really is. If you happen to be in London at the moment or you're going there soon, make sure you take some time to go to the Coal Drop Yards the whole King's Cross site, it is beautiful. And I think that's something that we should be reminding everybody that elegance and grace is important when you're doing great design projects. So now we've reached the pinnacle of magic with our final project. And this is Magic UX, so quite appropriately titled. Now it's from an exceptional designer, Adrian Westaway, and he really understands how to design with humanity in mind. I've got some history with Adrian. Right where I, I went and I met Adrian probably about three years ago and he was showing me some of his catalogue of, of different design projects and I found myself weeping tears of joy at the sublimeness of the design that I was seeing. Wow. And in this case it was a project which was, and in this case it was a project which was about the out-of-box experience for uh, aged customers of old feature phones. How do you put the SIM card in? How do you go uh, put the battery in? Taking them through that journey and he made it something that was, again, comes back to the dignity. It didn't make them feel incompetent, it made them feel com competent and walk them through a process in a way that was simply magic. Well, he's done that again, I have to say, then. with This, this is really impressive tech and basically, and design, and Really, the concept, again, it's, it's kind of you almost need to go to the site to have a look at the video to fully grasp this, I think. But really, people who've um, had to do tasks with mobile where you have to go through different applications know it's painful having to try to get between them. Whether you're copying text or you're having, say you're doing an email and you're then having to put a, um, a photo in them and, and, all of, and you're mucking around and doing button slips. What they've done, um, what Adrian's done is really basically pin the interface to anywhere that you want so you can come back to that. And so it's a very hard concept to kind of explain when you're talking it through, right? But essentially you can, like you have multiple monitors and things like that, you can basically create that in, in virtual environments and move content and objects between those. It's just extraordinary. I think what's interesting with this is that he's, he's taken a behaviour mm -hmm. from the physical world and worked out how to bring that behaviour into the digital world. That is magic. Mm. And so it's, a, it's going to be a frame of reference that relies on our you know, previous understanding of physical, physical items it makes it much easier for people to keep context about moving, moving through tasks. And, and I think we're going to see this applied in a huge range 
of circumstances. This is going to be in the next uh, Apple iOS <laughs> operating system, you reckon? Well, <laughs> I hope for Adrian that it's actually in the new I Apple <laughs> iOS because when I was in his office, the first time I met him, there's all these patents on the wall. And I'm sure he's been smart enough to work out how to patent this. Right. So for some people who want to go license this, I think there's a really good opportunity for them to get into something which is sublimely magical in the way that it creates a, a, an experience for your user. And then the other thing is that you're actually trying to work out how do people work, not how does technology work. Mm. And that, that to me is the reason why he gets that that extra little bit of accolade from us in this in these now awards because he's gone where nobody's gone before with user experience and interface design. I look forward to seeing it go very far and very wide. It was very impressive and ends on our magic note. It does. So Kirsten, thank you very much for for again doing another now. This is number nine. Wow, this year's gone very quickly. Well, we, we've gone over 200 projects. <sighs> okay, we wind up at, at, at you know, uh, what is it now? I mean, 200 plus, I, I can't even remember how many. I think it's like 225 at the end of this. We've got one more month to go in this year. It has been astounding to go see the audience response. And for all those people who are spreading out about the NOW Awards, whether it's through the Instagram posts that you're actually liking them, commenting, uh, uh, sharing them or reposting them in there, whether it's actually through our newsletters, Thank you very much because when we began this, it was a proposition which is maybe design is moving at such a speed that we have to do it more frequently than once a year. Mm -hmm. We committed to go do it once a month and the results that we're getting are fantastic. So thank you audience. Thank you Kirsten. Thanks Mark. And as I always say, be driven by design. <laughs>